around the home stretch. Second Timothy chapter four. All right, since I guess we have Brother Cole to thank for the snow, we'll have Brother Cole pray for the Sunday school hour this morning. <laughs> Go ahead, Brother. Amen. All right, we left off on verse number 12 there. Let's back up to 9, and we'll uh, start with verse 9 and read back up to it here. Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. I don't know how you read your Bible, but uh, the more I read it, I, I see that Paul, he's looking for some help. See, he says, do thy diligence to come shortly. <laughs> don't waste any time. Get here, and then he tells you why, of course. We already covered that in verse 10, right? Why, why does uh, Timothy need to come shortly unto Paul? Well, verse 10, for Demas hath forsaken me, uh, uh, having loved this present world. We preached about that and taught about that. And then verse 11, only Luke is with me, so he's, uh, he's in jail. He's in prison, and the only one he's got is uh, Brother Luke. And he's a, he's a good friend, but not only that, he's a doctor. <laughs> And uh, when you get older, you need more doctors. They call it those years the golden years. Amen? That's the years when you give all your gold to everybody else. <laughs> <coughs> and he says, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And last week when we were together, we went through why. And we went to Acts chapter 15, and we talked about John Mark and how there was a division and how uh, Paul doesn't like a quitter. We spent time on that. But now, time's passed, and uh, Mark stuck with it. He took, a, he took a sharp rebuke from Paul. He thought about it, and he got right over the thing, and uh, he's still sticking with the stuff, and Paul says, all right, bring him. Now, look here at verse 12. The Bible says, in Tychicus, have I sent to Ephesus. Verse 13, the cloak, the cloak, you see that? Not a robe. I never a robe, only the robe was Harold, Her, Harold's, <laughs> Herod's purple robe. <laughs> I know why Harold slipped out there, but <laughs> that's Herod's robe there. But he says, well, bring the cloak, you know, that I left at Troas of Carpus. When thou comest, bring with thee and the books, but especially the parchments. And uh, why in the world does Paul want a cloak? <laughs> Ain't that weird? I guess it's because winter's coming if you look down to verse 21 in the passage. Winter's coming, and Paul's older, and uh, now he's getting cold easier now, and uh, he needs that cloak. I remember boys and I spent about seven years, at least seven years out in the woods solid, uh, minus all the recesses, amen, and coming in once a night or something like that. But uh, towards the end of them seven years uh, in the winter, I'd go out there, and my core would, temperature would drop. And I couldn't stay warm like I used to in my 20s and in my 30s. And I'd have to come home and sit in front of that stove for about an hour and just thaw. 
And uh, Paul's an older man now. He tells him, bring the cloak. And uh, he's getting cold. Winter's coming. And he says in verse 13, The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus when thou comest, bring with thee in the books, and especially <clears throat> the parchment. So you notice here in verse 13, another set of threes. Remember through this book, Second uh, Timothy, there's a bunch of sets of threes. So here's another set of threes. He says, bring the cloak. Uh, that'd be for warmth. He says, bring the books. Uh, that'd probably be for entertainment. And, but especially the parchments. And that'd be the word of God for comfort. So what does Paul want at the end of his life? Well, a little bit of warmth, <laughs> a little bit of entertainment, and a little bit of comfort. And that's it. Now watch Paul in verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Now watch how Paul, Paul, he's, uh, if you look at Philemon, uh, you don't have to turn there. He's Paul the aged now. He's, uh, he's this is his second imprisonment here. He's ready to go on, get his head took off for Jesus Christ. Now watch what Paul does. He turns his enemies over to God. Amen? You see how he does that? He states the problem. What's the problem? Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. You say, what is that? That's a fact, Jack. <laughs> he did it. He did him much evil. He's a bad feller. Now Paul doesn't take the time to run him down, uh, even, even if he thought about it. But he said, he did me much evil. And what does he do? He turns him over to the Lord. The Lord reward him according to his works. That's a safe prayer for anybody. I don't care if you like the fellow or not. Oh, the Lord rewards you according to what you're doing. <laughs> now look, this will help you out. If someone does you dirty, you say, well, no one's ever done me dirty. Well, hang on. <laughs> hang around a little bit. <laughs> It'll come. <laughs> but uh, if someone does you dirty, you turn them over to the Lord. It'll help you stay straight on the thing. We've been preached through 1 Samuel, and you realize uh, over there, was it 1 Samuel chapter, oh, I'm thinking 24. Was it Nabal 25? I'm trying to remember here off the top, top of my head here. 24, 25. If you remember, Nabal rails on David's men, and David says, put your you know, lock and load, boys. We're going to go wipe them, that entire line out. 25, okay. And uh, so he's ready to do it. He weren't messing around. Amen? He means business. That's a man. Man don't mess around. But uh, I, I want to say later on, uh, towards the uh, uh, end of 2 Samuel, you've got uh, Absalom taking over, and David's running across the brook, and, uh, and the, he's coming back, and Shimei uh, cussing him out kicking dirt all over him and so forth and so on. And David's behavior has changed in time. And I'm trying to draw these illustrations uh, because uh, the more you age in the Lord, not just physically, but spiritually, you ought to be able to turn your enemies over to the Lord. I mean, it's perfectly natural for a young man to get fired right up. The Bible says the glory of the young man is a strength, amen? But the glory of the white, uh, the gray, the white head is a... How's it, the gray head? Hoary head? <laughs> no hair? <laughs> but the glory of the old man is his hair, is his, his wisdom there. And what I'm saying is uh, we can understand young men getting fired up. I was accused a handful of times of being hot-headed in my youth. Amen? Now, if a man's not hot-headed to some degree, I think he's probably got lace on his britches. But that's my opinion. Amen? I'm serious. 
Uh, a man, if you're going to be a rooster, amen, you ought to be a little bit cocky, amen. You ought to be banny rooster at least, amen. You ought, to, you ought to have some crow in you, but as you get older and you walk with the Lord more, he ought to be able to give, give you grace, amen. And one of the problems with our society, you know this, I say this not because you don't know it, and I hope you don't ever think that I'm just up here talking and thinking that y'all are stupid. I think y'all are very intelligent. I think you read your Bible. Amen. But you need to hear it across this pulpit whether you know it or not. The day that we stop saying what is right and what is wrong from the pulpit because we're afraid that everybody already knows it, we might as well just go home. But the older you get in the Lord, you ought to be able to give your enemies to the Lord. Amen. It's a hard thing to do. And it's come with tears, and it's come with trials, and it's come with tribulation, and it comes with getting uh, knives put into your heart, into your back, and all that stuff. And uh, David, he uh, gave his enemies to the Lord, and Paul's doing the same thing. And uh, <clears throat> you turn them over to the Lord, and it'll help you stay straight. See, when you're trying to take care of business yourself all the time, you're not always doing the right thing. Amen. You're going you're gonna to misstep. And you're going to act when you should stop and think. And uh, now some people are guilty the other way. Some people, they never do anything. Well, that's the same problem. Amen? There, there's a balance in that thing. You ought to be willing to take care of business, but when the Lord gives you divine intervention, you ought to be able to just let it go. Let it go. Uh, Paul's going out, and he's leaving soon. And what I see here in the passage is Paul doesn't want to meet the Lord with a bunch of bitterness in his heart. Now face it, Christian, whether you're willing to admit it, everyone's got a little bit of bitterness in their heart. And time and tears and trials is the only thing that pulls that stuff out. Amen? Uh, you'll think you're, you're over a thing, and then a conversation will pop up, and you, you, your guts will be in a knot. You're like, what is my deal? And the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, I just had to get that to the surface so we could deal with it, you know? I got to take out the trash, right? And Paul knows he's leaving soon. He doesn't want to meet the Lord with a bunch of bitterness in his heart. So he's just now, he's just turning it over to the Lord. The Lord reward him. Amen. Next time, it's easy to preach. Amen. But it's really hard to do. Next time someone does you dirty, someone doesn't do something that you believe they should do, or someone says something that they shouldn't say, you got to learn to turn it over to the Lord. That's a hard thing. But Paul does it. Look at verse 15. He says, he's warning Timothy now, of whom be thou aware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. You know what that fellow, that coppersmith, you know what he didn't like? He didn't like Paul's preaching. And he caused a lot of trouble for him. You see that? He says, for he hath greatly withstood our words. What was Paul preaching? Well, Paul was guilty of preaching the words of God. And the gospel of Jesus Christ and the things that God gave Paul himself. So look, Paul knows he's going to get his head took off for Jesus Christ. So what does he do? He's warning Timothy because Timothy's a preacher. And Paul's ready to go off the scene here. And he's like, look, you better watch out for this guy here. And don't you realize there were a bunch of people, there were a bunch of wolves waiting for Paul to die. A bunch of the brethren waiting for Paul to die. I remember when Dr. Ruckman died in 2016. That was a sad day. 
And when Dr. Ruckman died, within a year, a bunch of these maggots had crawled out of their wormhole, Bible-believing brethren, and just completely did a 180 on half the stuff that they'd followed Dr. Ruckman with. And next thing you know, they're producing books here and producing books there. Just a bunch of worms crawling out of their hole. <coughs> but uh, Paul's warning Timothy, you need to watch out for Alexander the coppersmith. And that fellow's trouble, and he'll mess with you every step of the way. Uh, look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is the account there. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now, Christian, you need to watch out for some individuals. You need to watch out for people that are critical of preachers. Now, I'm, I agree that you don't like some preaching, you don't like some styles, but you better be careful that you're not critical of them. Bible says in 1 Timothy 1.20, the Bible says, Of whom is Hymenaeus? And there he is, Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may not learn to blaspheme. You say, how in the world you deliver someone over to Satan? You ready how you do it? You give them to the Lord. <laughs> you stop praying for them. I'm going I'm to dump some cat litter in some people's brownies probably when I say this. But I would say there are some individuals you probably just need to quit praying for. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And just give them to the Lord. Now, here's the thing. Hymenaeus is doctrinally screwed up in verse 20. Doctrinally screwed up. And Paul pegged him from day one. Paul pegged him from day one. And Alexander's been nothing but trouble. And so Paul just turns him over to the Lord. And he warns Timothy about him since Paul's getting ready to leave out. Go back to 2 Timothy 4.16. This verse here says that my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Now here's another strange passage here. Real interesting passage. J. Frank Norris said this, When you start a fight, you better be prepared to finish it by yourself because you'll probably be standing alone. And no true words ever spoken by a man that seemed to stand alone. You need to read the history of J. Frank Norris. Amen? J. Frank Norris was a preacher at the turn of the century. He fought against the liquor crowd. He'd go into towns. He'd shut it down. And the stories are voluminous about J. Frank Norris. And the reason you and I are sitting here today, besides the grace of God, is because J. Frank Norris went in and split the Southern Baptist Convention and carried off the Independent Baptists, and that's why we're here. Amen? You ought to know your roots. You ought to know your history. I know people get bored of history, and they hate history and facts and figures and dates and all that stuff. But you ever wonder why Christianity is in the mess it's in? I mean, really just sit down one day and go, why are we in such a mess? I'll tell you why we're in such a mess we're in. Because we don't know our roots. We don't know where we came from, and we don't know where we're going. Now, if you know where you came from, uh, you can understand why we're in the mess we're in. Remember over there in Judges chapter 6? <laughs> of course you don't. <laughs> you remember Judges chapter 6, and the uh, angel shows up there, the Lord shows up and says, Thou mighty man of valor. He says, uh, and, and Gideon says, if I'm such a mighty man of valor, why has the Lord left us? Why are we in such the mess we're in? Why are the enemies of God, uh, you know, having a heyday uh, with our crops and with everything we got there? And you know what the Lord says? Go in this thy might. You know what Gideon knew? 
Gideon knew that he was in a mess. You know what Christians and Bible believers don't know today? Well, they don't know that we're in a mess. <laughs> we are in a mess. He said, well, I, I came here for encouragement. You'll get it, amen. I'm just telling you, you got to realize you're in a mess before you get encouraged. And the Lord's like, all right, Gideon, you know that you're in a mess. You know that Israel's forsaken God. You know that because Israel's forsaken God, the Ammonites and all the other HIVites and all them otherites are on your back door and in your living room. Okay, there's your strength. Because of that, you can go and you can go win the victory. All right, so about 2 Timothy 4.16, he says, I pray God that not be laid to their charge. And... Uh, Verse 17, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. And you and I, you need to remember that. You need to remember that. You say, remember what? Well, when no one stands with you, the Lord will. Uh, the girls sing a song, uh, when everyone walks out, that's when he walks in. Matter of fact, a lot of times Christian life is when you think you got all the help and all the camaraderie and all the friends and all the brethren and all the sistren and all, <laughs> you know, you feel like you're 10 feet tall and all that, but you, you know when you got strength? The Bible says when you're, when you're weak, he's strong. That's it. When everybody walks out, that's when he walks in. Verse 17, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me <clears throat> and strengthened me. And think about where Paul's at right now. He's in the prison, right? He's ready to die. He's at the end of his life. Everyone's left him. And the Lord stands up and says, I'm right here, Paul. <laughs> That's a blessing. That's a blessing. I was going through the Journal of John Wesley. I'll tell you, that, that book will change your life. It really will. Uh, the day that John Wesley died, he was surrounded by friends, just a handful of friends, you know. And it said that John Wesley said in the, the last few hours of his life, he said they couldn't understand everything he said, but he said, the best of all is that God is with us. And then again, a little while later, the best of all is God is with us. And then he said, the Lord is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And then finally, later on that night, the last thing he said is, I'll praise. I'll praise. Now, it might be hard to put that together, but I'll tell you what happened. Uh, in the 87th year of John Wesley's life, uh, after uh, at, uh, he was ready to go, and uh, his health has failed, his eyesight had failed, his strength had failed, and the Lord showed up and take him to the other side. He said, he's here, he's here. He said it three times, he's in the room. And you know what he says when he, finally the last words he says, knowing that the Lord's present, he's praising him. And he's going out praising God. And when the Lord showed up, John Wesley's final words was, I'll praise I'll praise. How about that? Wouldn't you like to go out with praise on your lips? Man, that reminds me of Jacob. I mean, he was a weasel and a half, but he goes out worshiping God. Goes out worshiping God. And at the end of Paul's days, everyone had forsaken him, but the Lord showed up to strengthen him. You say what you want. We gather strength from one another here. Amen? We do. And that's why when we have a, a fuller house, per se, sometimes we feel greater strength we try to gather strength or strength in numbers but let me remind you even if there's only a handful of us here the Lord will strengthen us the Lord will strengthen us and at the end of Paul's day everyone had forsaken Paul but the Lord showed up to strengthen him and listen I'll say this uh, 
when you're young, you feel uh, that you can conquer anything. You feel unbreakable, unbendable, and uh, you've got the world by the tail. And then when you get older, you realize there's teeth in your tail. <laughs> Amen? And that's when you realize the older you get, the more help you really need. The more help you really need. And Paul says, listen, he says, don't lay this to the charge, Lord. Uh, in that passage there, verse 17, uh, he's probably just thinking, you know, those Christians are probably just scared. And they don't want to get their head cut off. He said, don't lay it to their charge. Uh, verse 17, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. There's another strange passage. I suppose this could have a couple different applications here. Uh, back in those days, uh, they used to take the Christians and put them in that place called what? The Coliseum, right? And they'd watch the lions eat them. Starve them lions out for a few days and put a bunch of Christians in there and turn them loose and, you know, become lion chow. So it could be, could be, that Paul was literally put in the Colosseum when he was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, Paul got his head cut off instead of getting eaten by the lions. Or maybe Paul's referring to the devil figuratively in 1 Peter 5, 8. Uh, I don't have a problem with either of those applications, but I would take it literally instead of figuratively. If he said he's delivered from the mouth of the lion, I just figure he's delivered from the mouth of the lion. But that's verse 17. Look at verse 18. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, Paul's done, and here he's going to salute some of his friends. You see in verse 19, salute Prisca and Aquila in the household of Anesiphorus. These are Paul's friends from Ephesus. He's writing his last letter saying farewell to them. Verse 20, Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. And we've given comment on this before. But why did the greatest healer in the New Testament leave his friend sick? You ever think about that? Back there in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 to 10, Paul had all the signs of the apostles. But now, you see what he does? He carries a doctor with him everywhere he goes. Now, if you want to know the timeline where we're at, 2 Timothy lines up with the timeline of Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28 and 2 Timothy chapter 4 would be the same timeline. And... Uh, there's no more signs and wonders in Acts chapter 28. you got to realize from Acts chapter 28 all the way to the tribulation, there are no more signs, wonders, tongues, period. They're gone. And if you have any signs and any wonders going on between Acts 28 and the tribulation, then they're counterfeit. They're counterfeit. You catch that? You say, well, what about the charismatic movement? What about it? Any signs from Acts chapter 28 through the tribulation are going to be counterfeit. That's the charismatic crowd. Uh, and they're counterfeit. They're satanic. And you know how the Antichrist is ushered in? Signs and wonders and miracles. You know how the ministry of uh, Jesus Christ was ushered in? With John the Baptist. And that charismatic movement is the John the Baptist of the Antichrist. And that thing is heralded uh, in the reign of the Antichrist here. So the signs and wonders are gone. Paul has to carry a doctor and can't even heal his buddy. Look at verse 21. Do thy, do thy diligence to come before winter. 
Eubulus greeteth thee, and Pudens, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. So here's the reason, again, Paul needs the cloak. It's going to get cold. <laughs> How about that? It's cold out. <laughs> and it is cold out. He says, do thy diligence to come before winter. So here's a practical application of that verse. You're going to get something for, done for Jesus Christ, you better get after it. Why? Winter's coming, right? The winter of your life is coming. You see in the winter, you look out there, you know what you see? You see death, don't you? Winter of life shows death. Winter shows snow. And as we get older, well, our hair falls out. Look at the trees. All their leaves fell out. Amen? As we get older, our hair falls out like the leaves fall off the trees. We get white on top of our head like the snow gathers on top of the roof. And if you're going to witness for God, you got to do it before winter comes. Amen? Y'all sleeping on me this morning? <laughs> do it before you get old. If you wait until you get old, you won't do it. So do it now. If you're going to work for God, do it now while you got still got time. If you're going to live for God, do it now. What a great passage. What a great passage. Remember uh, preaching Brother Mick's funeral there. I preached that message, do thy... Uh, uh, do thy due diligence to come before winter. And I'll tell you, what, there's a man I saw trying to redeem the time in the last 10 years of living, Brother Mick. He wouldn't stop. He, he wouldn't stop to comb his hair, man. <laughs> and uh, he's redeeming the time. You know what he knew? Winter was coming. Winter was coming. And even just uh, a couple days before, you know, he went into that week where he never recovered there. He, he, uh, he always swung by the where I was at the study door, and he looks at me, he goes, he says, you know you're my pastor, he said that. He says, I could still whoop you. <laughs> I said, okay, all right, I won't fight you. <laughs> now, he said that because uh, him and my dad were friends when I was just, uh, just, just a really young, and he was around the church back in the early 80s. He got saved back in the early 80s, and we all got saved around the same time. I was about seven and a half, and he was in his 30s or 40s, whatever it was. And, and, uh, but anyways, there's a man who uh, knew winter was coming. Winter was coming. So if you're going to do something for God, do it before winter gets here. If you're going to live for God, do it now. Verse 22 says, The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Now it finishes up 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we got about 15 minutes. I thought we'd just shift gears and go right into the book of Titus here. Right into the book of Titus. Titus chapter 1, of course. Now this is, uh, Titus is mentioned in several different places in Scripture here. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, I'll just give you some uh, information here. But uh, he's mentioned eight different times in the book of 2 Corinthians. In the book of Galatians, he's mentioned once. And, of course, in 2 Timothy, he's mentioned once. And then, of course, uh, he's mentioned in the book of Titus itself. <laughs> Amen. He's mentioned in Titus 1.1. Good thing. At least we know the book's to him. <laughs> and uh, Titus is addressed as the pastor of the church in Crete. In Crete. Look at verse 5 there, Titus chapter 1 and verse 5. The Bible says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordained elders in every city as I had appointed thee. So Titus is the pastor of the church in Crete. So uh, Paul's got two preacher boys, amen? 
He's got a preacher boy named Timothy, and Timothy's a pastor at the Church of Ephesus, and he's got Titus, and Titus here in this book, he's pastoring the church in Crete. Now, the book of Titus, of course, as you know, it's got three chapters, pretty short, 961 words. Uh, the dating of the book of Titus, uh, they put it about 62 to 67 A.D., according to Usher's chronology. Uh, James Usher there, 62 to 67 A.D. Now, uh, of course, like you said, the church uh, he's pastoring is in Crete, and Crete is a large island off the coast of Africa. Africa. You say, uh, what's the uh, ethnology of the Crete, island of Crete? Cretans, Crete, they uh, come from Ham. They're Hamites. They're from Africa. Uh, look at Genesis 10. We'll run a couple passages here. Genesis chapter 10, verse 14, Cretans are Africans. So uh, uh, Titus is sent to pastor a church in Crete. So Genesis chapter 10 and verse 14, there's a couple different names for, uh, they're not called Cretans, but their origination here, 1014. Bible says, and Pathrusim, and Kashluhim, out of whom came Philistim, and Kaphtorim. Of course, Philistim, that sounds like what? Philistines, right? Philistim would be the father of the Philistines. And Kaphtorim, if you look back at verse 6, these are the sons of Ham. All right? These are the Hamites. These are the Africans that inhabited the continent of Africa. And Kaphtorim, uh, when you study that thing out, uh, uh, even Easton's Bible Dictionary, Kaftorim are the Cretans. They, those, are, those are the origination of the Cretans there. Also look at 1 Samuel 30. So another name for the Cretans are going to be Kaftorim. And you see in your Bible, Kaftorim or Kaftor, C-A-P-H-T-O-R. And you find that word Kaftor in Jeremiah. We won't look at that. I'm going to show you another, another uh, name for these Cretans, 1 Samuel chapter 30. You're going to notice, and this one might be a little bit more familiar, will be the Cherethites. The Cherethites. Uh, Easton's Dictionary also, and uh, other, some other historians, trace that lineage and that link back to Kaftor, which is uh, the island of Crete. And you see in 1 Samuel chapter 30, Now, they don't all have a negative connotation, but there is some. 30 verse 14. Maybe. Someday. There it is. <laughs> 30 verse 14. He says, we made an invasion upon the south of the Cherethites and upon the coast, which belongs to Judah. Upon the south of Caleb, we burned Ziklag with fire. Those Cherethites or those Cretans are looking at Ezekiel 25, Ezekiel 25, 16. I'm just trying to help you understand the link between who Titus is pastoring here. They're the sons of Ham, the Kaftorim, the Cherethites, the Cretans, and it's going to be predominantly African, 25, 16. You say, well, what's, you know, what's the difference, preacher? Why do you even say that stuff? Have you ever pastored an African church? <laughs> you ever seen how Africans worship? 
please tell me we're not that PC. We can't talk about that, right? They worship different than us, don't they? Well, sure they do. I've been to a couple of different black churches. I mean, y'all ain't black. I'm telling you right now. Amen? Y'all are straight up cracker. Amen? You are. You're just stiff, right? That's who we are. That's Japheth. Let me tell you what, Ham, he gets into it. He's emotional. He gets into his worship, and he likes to dance, and he likes to, well, hug all the women. Amen? Now, Ezekiel chapter 25, verse 16, the Bible says, thus, uh, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will stretch out mine hand upon the Philistines, and I will cut off the Cherethims, and destroy the remnant of the what? Seacoast. You see that? We're talking about Crete here. And the Cherethims, and notice Philistines and Cherethims are mentioned together. And you can link that back to Genesis chapter 10 and verse 6 where you have Philistim and Kaphtorim. Those are the brothers there and those nations derived from them. I'll give you one more, Zephaniah chapter 2 verse 5. I keep telling my wife, and we'll probably just talk about it until I die, I'd love to put together a geographical Bible where you could flip the pages and have a map on every page of some word that you didn't know. <laughs> but the thing would probably be eight foot thick, you know what I mean? <laughs> Zephaniah chapter 2. Zechariah, well, let's see here, that's too far. Zephaniah. Yeah. There it is, 2-5. Bible says, and them that worship, uh, nope, that's 1-5, 2-5, unto the inhabitants of the sea coast. You see where we're at? That uh, Crete's that, an island. He's talking about the sea coast. The nation of the what? Cherethites. There it is. That's what he's talking about. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, the land of the Philistines. There's his brother. You see it? There's his brother. I will even destroy thee that there should be no... Inhabitants. So, without a doubt, the Cretans are the Caftorum of Ham. Uh, Philistines is brother, uh, also referred to as the Cherethites, so forth and so on. Now, Titus was a Greek Christian won by Paul. He was a Greek Christian won by Paul. Back to Titus chapter 1, verse 4. And hopefully that's profitable to you, not just running down a bunch of scriptures. Hopefully you can understand who the inhabitants of Crete were, where they came from, and they came over from Africa there. Titus 1.4, the Bible says, To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith. Just like Timothy, right? And he organized what Titus did. Uh, he organized the, I guess you could call it the Christian Relief Fund. <laughs> down there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 6 through 23. He sent Titus down there to take up that offering for the poor saints at Jerusalem. Uh, Titus not only did that, but he met Paul in Macedonia, and that'd be in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7. And then, of course, we just finished up 2 Timothy, but he was sent by Paul to Dalmatia. And I'm like, that's a cool name, Dalmatia. I think about a dog, right? You know what you think about Dalmatians? So I'm like looking up Dalmatian. It's literally a tropical paradise. You can sit around and eat figs and raisins and dates and... Whatever, and I, and I started looking just real quick reading about it, and the motto of Dalmatia is no hurry. No hurry, no worry. As a matter of fact, um, I don't know how true it is. They say if uh, people in Dalmatia detect that you're in a hurry, they'll yell at you, slow down. 
Um, in other words, so you're supposed to meet people on the street and talk for an hour. And they drink coffee all day long. I'm there, right? You know, hey, you know, what's wrong with that? You know, cut off the caffeine by noon, just decaf the rest of the day, we're okay, you know? It's all right. But uh, he sent uh, Titus to Dalmatia in 2 Timothy 4.10. I couldn't prove this if I tried, but knowing the dates uh, when the book was written, Titus versus uh, 2 Timothy, something tells me that either someone else took the work at Crete or it didn't last because in 2 Timothy 4, when Paul is getting ready to get uh, his head took off, he sends Titus over to Dalmatia. I'll have to look into that more, but I don't think there's enough information on that. But at any rate, he sends him over to Dalmatia, 2 Timothy 4.10, and here he accompanied Paul to Crete. So Paul spent some of his time here in Crete. He won some souls there, like Paul is. Everywhere Paul goes, he's winning souls. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Everywhere he goes, he wins souls. He just... He's just a mouthpiece for Jesus Christ. And it's not just, uh, I mean, you talk about people, I run into people, they, they think everything is about soul winning. Amen? And I think you ought to win souls. But uh, I just give this analogy here. We'll keep it G-rated. When you get married, uh, not everything is about intimacy. Amen? I know this, that if you just uh, spend uh, the right amount of time with the one you love, that stuff comes automatically in time. And the whole marriage is not, uh, centered around that stuff and if it is it's kind of weird and there's probably a problem with that but everywhere Paul goes he wins souls not only that he wins souls but then he starts churches see what I mean if you're going to win souls you might probably find a flock from to feed in amen that'd be a good idea now I know you can't control all that stuff if you can win someone to Jesus Christ I've won a handful of people to the Lord but say well where are they at preacher I don't know where's the one you won <laughs> right I think I probably won more people to the Lord in prison. You see where they're at? They're still in prison. <laughs> that's where they're at. But uh, he uh, wins a bunch of souls, and that's found in Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27, 7 through 9 is where Paul is in Crete, winning souls, starting a church. And after his first prison term, Paul returns there. And you find that account of Paul returning to Crete in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, and he also mentions it in Philemon 22. There's only one chapter there. But uh, Philippians chapter 2, he returns to Crete, Philippians 2.24. And then you also see mention of that in Philemon verse number 22. And after that, he left some of these instructions to Titus. And, of course, the instructions to Titus are, guess what? They're the book of Titus. <laughs> so we have them right in front of us. Now, here's something interesting. That name Titus, it means to pay a price. The name Titus means to pay a price, to pay a price. And uh, it's very fitting. Titus was a pastor, amen, a young preacher boy. And uh, if you're going to pastor a local church or if you're going to go into the mission field and be a missionary, you are going to have to pay the price. They say you're going to have to pay the piper. You're going to have to pay the price for being in the ministry. You have to pay the price for being uh, a pastor or a missionary or a uh, full-time worker for the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me tell you what, it will be a blessing along the way, even though there will be a lot of heartache involved in it. Now the book of Titus here is written between Paul's first and second imprisonment. So we've got a couple minutes left. Let's just start going through the book of Titus itself. Titus chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. So notice the first time, uh, the first use, Paul, Paul uses the word servant. That's uh, important to remember. The first thing he identifies himself is as a servant. And Paul starts out the church age, uh, which is, look at Romans chapter 1, verse 1. I say that starts out the church age. The doctrine for the church age is contained in Romans 1, 1 through the book of Philemon. So when you read the rest of the Bible, as I'm sure you all know, you match things up with Paul. You match things up with Pauline doctrine. If you have a controversy in your Bible reading, you match it up with Pauline doctrine and all is well. So if you look at uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 1, notice how he starts out the church age doctrine. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. So not only that, but notice here in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, there's two types of separation, and never forget it. Never forget it. There's separation unto God, and there is separation from the world. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Never forget that. You cannot separate from this world unless you separate yourself unto God at the same time. <clears throat> this world separates it from itself all the time. I mean, you go into Walmart, and you got the... You got the crowd that's separated under wearing their pajamas, amen. And then you got, <laughs> and then you got all the, the the Karen crowd, right? That hates you and hates you being in the aisle and hates you being right. That they're separated under themselves, right? So you got all kinds of groups in, in this country separated, right? And then you got the crowd that thinks uh, they ought to look like they just fell out of your Uncle Gene's tackle box. You know what I mean? And they're separated under their identity, and right? And then you got the crowd that has no idea what they are, but they want you to think they're somebody, and you're like, you are something, amen? <laughs> uh, but you cannot be separated from this world until you are separated unto God. And I believe over the last 50 years, a lot of preaching, a lot of good preaching has gone forth from Bible-believing pulpits, and it's been hammered heavy with separation from this world, which we should be. But it'll never work unless you're separated unto God first. And that's the piece we're missing. Amen? Amen. <laughs> now, he, uh, he makes a statement in Titus chapter 1, verse 1. He says this, Paul, a servant of God and the apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. So we don't have enough time to get into that, but of course we'll make some comments on that. Pick that up right in the middle of verse number 1 next time we're around there.